Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast at Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. Before we get started today, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, all of those places where you can find fine podcast content. You could find Kyle and I, you can also connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod, also on Facebook, Longhorn Republic Podcast, and you can shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Well, my name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week, and I'm joined by a man who's trying to close out his third straight winning year, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Oh, man, I'm uh, I'm doing fantastic. We are in the final stretch. The final month, December, is here. Trying to get through 2019. It's been a long one. It's been a been been a been a, been a good one. There's been some good things. It's uh, there's been some things, but uh, we're getting through it. 2019 final stretch. Uh, how are you, G? We're doing okay. Just got back from the uh, the road trip to Texas. We're back in uh, chilly, chilly Oklahoma. I almost wore shorts on Thanksgiving Day at my parents' house, but apparently that wasn't classy <laughs> enough for. Uh, company coming over for dinner so put on some long pants but i'm back we're back at it and texas <laughs> some people aren't coming back i don't know what else to say Oof. so we just we got to start at the top kyle right like that's the yeah that's, we normally this would be the spot where we would talk about the previous game and we'll do that after our uh, kind of mid-show commercial break but we've got to talk about the big news uh after struggling for most of the year on both on either side of the ball, kind of alternating uh, Texas head coach, Tom Herman made the decision on Sunday. Well, probably made it on Saturday, but announced it on Sunday that some changes were coming to the staff. The quote is seven and five will never be our standard at Texas. And I take full responsibility for any and all of our shortcomings and know we need to do a better job coaching across the board. With that said, I do believe the future is very bright and I've decided to make some changes to our staff as we head into bowl preparation and look to finish strong in the final weeks of fall recruiting. That release comes as part of confirmation that defensive coordinator Todd Orlando was let go. Wide receiver coach Drew Maringer also let go. Former offensive coordinator, now quarterbacks coach Tim Beck has been reassigned to simply just quarterbacks coach. And wide receiver coach Corby Meekins is going to continue on the staff in a administrative uh, capacity, not necessarily on uh, the field coaching. So in spite of taking full responsibility, four people had to take responsibility for a down season in Texas. <laughs> and Kyle, I think the, the first question, uh, do you think these are the right moves for Herman to make to try to get this thing back to where it should be. I mean, I think you start off the top with the biggest one, right? That's uh, Todd Orlando as defensive coordinator. <sighs> you know, it's tough. It is a move. Like when you you zoom out and you give the ten thousand foot view, you look at a macro level for the season. It was not good enough. In in any way, by any measure, by any metric, when you look at the season as a whole, which is now completed, the defense was not good enough. Over a hundredth in most, if not all, defensive categories are not good enough. And if you are the guy who is in charge of the defense, heads are going to roll and you're ultimately going to be responsible for that. Now, were there some very good years with him as coordinator? 
Absolutely. I think his, his, his first year ah, was good year. Yeah, his first year at least. I mean, when you only have three, I guess that's 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 not a terrible percentage. Um, sure. But this year was a very bad year. It was not okay. It was not good. But you can have the caveat there was injuries for, for the whole middle chunk of the season, kind of when the wheels started falling off. But, I mean, LSU was early on in the season. You saw they are an elite offense, but just how pliant that defense was. Um you saw it against significantly lesser offenses. It seemed like we made the joke, you know, you said the cure for the common quarterback. How many quarterbacks had their career best or a top three all-time day against this Texas defense? They they were just shredded. They've gotten in the last month or so a little bit more of a bend but don't break, um, which I think is what Orlando would like. However, if you're going to do that, you live by that edge that you never break, that you just keep bending and your offense keeps working and you win games that way. When it does break, it looks really, really bad. It's like when you're playing, uh, you're playing spades and you try to, or hearts and you try to shoot the moon um, and you end up with, you know, 22 or 23 or whatever it is. And uh, including the queen and, and you're just, you're just got a lot of points and you didn't really fool everyone and, and, run the table like you thought you did. The Orlando one is the one I struggle with the most. Like a lot of the, the ra- rationale behind it from kind of what the internet is and what the internet scuttlebutt was, if you believe it, is that it was the inability or the, the unwillingness to kind of change or shift scheme based upon um, what Texas had, what Texas had going on. My struggle with that is that if in 2017 the offense was halfway competent, Texas has a much better season. And... For the last four games of this season, if Texas has a somewhat competent offense, they win two more of those games, and Texas is sitting at 9-3, and three and not everybody's super mad. So I think that, because let's be honest, in the Big 12, 21 and 24 points are wins. Like, if your defense holds a team to 21 points or 24 points, which happened three of these last four games... That's a W in the Big 12, and so that's that's my struggle. Now, all that being said, I do think that if you can get the right guy in here, then Orlando, then then it's not a bad move because I think it all for me, it all this one specifically hinges on who they bring into backfill because I think Orlando with when he has NFL caliber talent like he did two years ago. I mean, Texas was one of the best defenses in the country but there's you can't argue with the numbers in the last two seasons have been two of the historically worst seasons in texas football history i know last year they ended the year with the worst numerical num the worst numerical yardage allowed in school history granted they played 14 games last season so you had a little bit of a floated average there but still that is not nor it should be the standard at the university of texas at the flagship university in the state of texas in the greatest state in the union, that should not be the standard for the football team. And I'll just I'll just add you're you're absolutely right. I'll add one little piece of one data point to just marinate on. It's this this is not a speculation, obviously. This has happened. We're reporting the news here. But would you fire uh, we all agree Gary Patterson is, is one of the best defensive coaches in the Big Twelve. He knows how to coach a Big Twelve defense, correct? Yes. That's that goes without speaking. This this year, Oklahoma State actually had the same average as, as TCU, but at, at 28.2 points per game. And, and Oklahoma State and Texas Christian probably played easier schedules than UT. They were 66th and 67th this year in points per game in the NCAA. 
UT was 68th. When you take the entirety of the season, and it, and it kind of puts your point a little bit into perspective a little bit there, they were 0.7 points worse than Gary Patterson's mastermind defense. You know, they... It was not good enough. We know that. We know the standard of UT. But in the Big 12 with, you know, the types of quarterback. I mean, you you have to play guys like Carter Stanley. Obviously, Heisman finalist. I kid, I kid. Um, but, you know, the, the, it, it's that duality of mind that makes this such a baffling one. And we could spend a whole podcast just talking about it if there weren't such other news. But truly, it is the part that makes this one in particular so baffling and so tough to wrap your head around is because you know they looked good when they were when they were superior and they were healthy at the beginning of the year and better than their opponent they look good they look good um in the past few games in a bend don't break capacity which is what an orlando defense does they held you know chuba hubbard to his lowest yards per carry of the season a guy who's going to obviously um by a by a good chunk lead the nation in rushing um this season they 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 were able to do a couple things quite well um there was a couple of things they didn't and, and, you know, heads rolled for it. Obviously I'll say it like this. This is the point I'm going to put on it. Do I think it was the wrong move? No. Would I be surprised if this is OU firing Brent Venables and then Brent Venables is now the best defensive coordinator in the country? I would not be shocked if that turned out to be the case. But that's not the only move we have to talk about. Uh, Wide receiver coach Drew Manager uh, is out the door as well. Depending on who you ask, and Kyle and I are both on that same Probably my favorite move of all of these. Uh, Maringer, depending on the sources that you heard, had some struggles with maybe professionalism. I don't know. All this is speculation. There's no confirmation on any of it. But Drew Maringer is out the door. Uh, the only confirmation we really have um, is for from the Austin American Statesman from Brian Davis and Anwar Richardson. Those are the guys that kind of corroborated this. Is that if Drew Maringer had remained on the Texas staff as of 9 a.m. Monday, there would have been a serious internal revolt. So we're not going to talk about the the rumors from the message boards or from um, the sites that you have to pay for things like that. But that's some that's some source stuff. I trust Brian and Anwar. Those guys know what they're talking about. And so Maringer's out the door after three seasons with Tom Herman. Uh, Andre Coleman, who's been an analyst, is going to be uh, on the staff as a wide receivers coach, and he will also hit the road recruiting once. Uh, actually, probably today, as of recording on Monday, they're out the door. So with this one, Kyle, like it seems like players and other coaches were frustrated. And so this one for a guy like Tom Herman, who values alignment and values cohesion, like with everything that's coming out about this, this makes sense. Yeah, I, I was trying to remember while you were talking there, which famous poet it was who said it, whether it was Tennyson or maybe Emily Dickinson, Bronte, I can't recall. A famous poet once said, don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you. Uh, no, I, 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 I say that mainly in jest, but, you know, Drew, um, happy trails. So long. I hope it all works out. Um, when, when credible, you know, journalists the austin american statesmen are saying you know there there's a if 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 you're if you're here come monday there's a chance of a serious revolt that's that's not good that's not that's not good for your job when you know giant recruits are putting up hundreds of yards for teams 
thousands and thousands of miles away and then coming home to eat turkey dinner um, six miles away from from the stadium. Um, that doesn't look good. I think obviously those who follow UT recruiting know uh, we're talking about Ohio State's uh, Gear Wilson. Um, but that's not the only one. I mean, there were some big misses on the recruiting trail, and, and it's – it just seems like the personality maybe wasn't there. The the ability to, to bring the recruits on campus maybe wasn't there. And then, you know, I don't read all the message boards, but it seems like there may have been some friction once guys got on campus. So if that is the case, if there is a position of turmoil, obviously we had Jordan Pouncey hit the transfer portal. Um, we've had, you know, some receiver commits who decommitted in the the, the whole cycle, not recently here, um, but or we just didn't get that we thought we had a good chance at. Those things add up, and and unfortunately, a receivers coach is oftentimes one of your best recruiters. Your deal closers are the guys who can you know really connect with the kids, the guys that the kids like want to emulate, want to you know hang out with, want to talk to, want to want to you know get close with. It's just a. It should be a money position where, of course, you're coaching up receivers, and and that's such a vital position in the Big Twelve. You need to have someone who can coach that well. Um, but getting those kids on campus and keeping them happy and kind of in building them up emotionally and just in that connection with them is a huge part of that specific job. And and I think that's that's where my money lands. I think after the 2019 class, I was pretty much ready to part ways with Maringer when you have Elijah Higgins, who's from Austin, and you have Garrett Wilson, who's from Austin, both going out of state, where you've got uh, Garrett Wilson ending up at Ohio State. And now we've said it before on the pod that we never fault anybody uh, for going to Stanford over Texas because that's one of those ones that's like, yeah, I kind of get it. But Higgins for a while was was presumed to be a Texas lean or a Texas. Uh, at least Texas had a legit shot. And that those are two top 100, like not receivers in their position, two top 100 players in the country that, that Texas missed out on, uh, presumably – partially because of the recruiting of that guy. And again, you, you start to, and again, we don't want to comment on the, the, the rumors and we're not going to report those specifically, but when you look at and you dive into some of the weird stuff that happened in the middle of the season with some wide receivers, some young wide receivers, this makes sense. The comments from Anwar and from Brian Davis makes sense when you, if one and if I, I do, if you want to do it, go ahead and look into some of the weird things that happened with, you know, a guy maybe not showing up to practice a couple days in a row, middle of the season. Some of that stuff just makes more sense. So guys that are still on staff, but aren't necessarily, uh, or that are getting new positions, uh, inside wide receivers, coach Corby Meekins, who has deep ties with Texas high school football coaches, moving to more of an administrative capacity, not a ton to talk about there. I mean, it was kind of always weird to have an outside and inside receivers coach, at least from my uh, perspective. I think Meekins was on the staff primarily for more of his recruiting and coaching connections. So I think having him in a recruiting position in the office. But the big one we have to talk about is uh, offensive, coor- offensive coordinator. But the big one we have to talk about is offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach Tim Beck being reassigned. Something that we talked about a couple weeks ago where – Tim Beck staying on staff because you can't argue with his development of quarterbacks and his recruiting and evaluating of quarterbacks. So having him on staff as a quarterbacks coach, uh, but no longer as the offensive coordinator, 
This one is the one that I think everybody's happy about and excited about. But the weird one thing that I do have to mention here is that Tim Beck was not calling plays. That responsibility rested on the head man, Tom Herman, who took full responsibility for any and all of their shortcomings. So this one's a little, uh, I mean, it's good. It needed to happen. And I think the, again, who Tom Herman hires here says a lot about why the move was made. Yeah, and we, we, we can talk a lot about that if you'd like to dive into it. But, yeah, just re- to put a kind of point on it is, is you know, I think the offensive coordinator is a very easy scapegoat for most fan bases, um, but but certainly um, for UT. I mean, I remember going through all the phases in the Texas pregamer of fire Greg Davis to hire Greg Davis. Please, let's get back to that level of mediocrity, um, which was actually quite good. But, um the offensive coordinator is the most hated man in, in any college football team, and the backup quarterback is the most beloved. We all know that, right? Whoever whoever the other option is has all the touchdowns. You know, if, if it was a different offensive coordinator, they'd call the touchdown play more often. If it was the backup quarterback, he'd throw the touchdown play more often, right? It's it's very easy to, to just do it from your couch. Um, so I think Tim Beck got a lot of unfair hatred early on. I do think when the offense got pretty good and was really humming that the pendulum may have swung a bit too far the other way. He may have been praised a little bit too much for what Ellinger was going out and doing, what, you know, Colin Johnson and Devin Duvernay were, were just, you know, capable of doing what the offensive line when it was operating well uh, was doing. Um, there were there was a tendency to, to, you know, get conservative with play calling late. You could say that's maybe on Herman, um, whether you know where that influence comes from. I think you've talked a lot about this, both on the podcast and, 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 and on Twitter. We both talked about it um, is is there needs to with a guy like Tom Herman, who is very smart. And, and I've mentioned this on the podcast before. This is no secret. My brother played um, for Coach Herman for two years, and he said he's one of the smartest football minds. But sometimes he thinks and knows that he's the smartest football mind. He's the smartest person in, in the room. Like you sometimes need someone also very smart who has that respect and has the, the authority the the delegation of power to say, Hey Tom, no, try this, do this. You're getting into your space here. You're, you know, you're out thinking, overthinking, um, just play football, you know, someone to, to call that he will, respect their opinion. And I almost feel like when we start talking about those candidates, that's to me, the number one, most measurable, um, quantifiable, what this, this position needs in the next hire. Tim Beck and Tom Herman became that couple that they have been together for so long that they accidentally wear the same color scheme four days in a row. It doesn't just happen once. It happens all dang week, right? You walk out of the, the house for work. And you're like, Oh, you're wearing Navy and khaki today. Me too. Oh, sweater vest day, right? It just it just keeps happening. I think that is the problem with uh with with that level of alignment, that level of familiarity. And so I think hit the nail on the head and that'll kind of dovetail into our next conversation. But like the guy that they have to hire, one Herman has to be secure enough and humble enough to say, "You know what? 
I'm going to let you handle the play calling duties because, and this is shout out to coach Lamons, uh, a writer for BON. If you don't li- read his stuff, guy is a former coach and he's just an incredible, incredible football mind. Uh, you should read his stuff. Uh, but he was talking about like the role of what a head coach typically, or how the game plans are, are done in game and how headsets even are monitored is basically while the offense is on the field, the defensive staff is formulating their scheme and their plot for the next series. And then when the defense is on the field, the offense is doing the same. And while the what generally what the head coach does is he'll flip back and forth between with whatever group they feel like needs the most attention. And if you're calling plays as a head coach, you can't do that because you've got to be in the scheme conversations. And when you take that angle, some of the Texas Texas's inabilities to kind of make adjustments in game start to make a little more sense because was Herman able to dial in or did he need to be talking to the defense? Did he need to be talking to the offense? Which frequency, which wavelength did he need to be on and was he able to switch? So you need to hire somebody that you can trust to be in the booth and to coordinate that with your on-the-field coaches. So that kind of naturally brings us to the, the next point we have to talk about is and who replaces these guys? So Texas is looking to obviously now replace both of its coordinators. Tom Herman pulled that ripcord, kind of his let's not let my seat heat up too quickly. So names that have been floated around, there have been confirmed on multiple places that Graham Harrell would be willing to leave USC if Texas came a calling. Joe Brady from LSU, the guy who's been really credited with revamping their offense and their passing game. He's been the passing game coordinator. Uh, Jeff Scott is a name that has not been seriously floated around, uh, but Jake Smith did follow him on Twitter, so that's something to be uh, to talk about. And uh, the interesting thing about Jeff Scott is that he is the wide receivers coach and co-offensive coordinator at Clemson, so Texas does have an opening at wide receivers coach. Uh, Chad Morris is another name that's gotten a little bit of play. He recently was let go in Arkansas. And then Major Applewhite, former Houston head coach and former Texas Longhorn quarterback and offensive coordinator are all some names. So do any of those kind of light your fire, Kyle, or or who of those, if any of them do, or multiple of them do light your fire the most? You know, again, I think it'll be interesting. I think this, this is an interesting hire because like we talked about, it's a personality fit with Tom Herman head coach. Um, I wonder about Chad Morris, who, I think on paper as an offensive coordinator was unbelievable. Um, that's not disputed, but if you, if you're, you know, you're needed in that position to work harmoniously with, um, Tom Herman, there's rumors that they may not be best of friends. And also, um, Chad Morris is a, in a, you know, verifiably very smart guy. I almost wonder if they would try to outsmart each other and end up hurting each other. Um, but he is a, a huge name hire, which, you know, it's never bad at Texas to go out and land the biggest fish. Um, I think because he was the best offensive coordinator prospect and then became the hot head coach prospect kind of the same time as Herman. And now he's failed at that, that the assumption is he'll go back to being a successful offensive coordinator at a big program before, you know, trying to get, be a head coach, uh, again, presumably, right? And and we can talk a little bit about that, whether we think, you know, there is value to, to hiring someone who may not be here a long time. And I think that's something I do want to talk about because I'm, I'm going to be really honest with you. There's a delusion among Texas fans that this coaching staff is a destination. And it has not been for a long time. Probably the better better part of a decade at this point. Being a coach at Texas is not a destination because – 
very rarely do our coaches leave the staff voluntarily for bigger jobs. That's a rarity in the last several years. So that if you want Texas to be a destination, you know how you do that. Reload your coordinators the way Alabama does. And it's, oh, this guy got hired to be the head coach here. This guy got hired to be the offensive coordinator here. This guy's going to the NFL. This guy is a GM. So like that's when, when you have to reload and rehire offensive and defensive coordinators every couple of years, because they're getting hired away. That's how you make it a destination. And so I, and I, I've said this already. I've said this on Twitter, I think, but I'm totally fine with this being a two year lease on an offensive coordinator. If that means that the offense gets back on track in the short term and that person gets hired away as a head coach because it's like, oh, Tom Herman made a guy a head coach. You should come work for him. He's great. Yeah, and and, and I and I think I think that's absolutely the right the right approach to have, right? Is is, you know, come out, be a, a marquee hire, make a lot of money, obviously, as a coordinator position at Texas, go on to be a head coach, be successful as a head coach at that level, hey, I want to be the next offensive coordinator at Texas because they pay good and you get to work with NFL quality players. And, you know, it's uh, it's an instant track to uh, to superstardom as a head coach. Great. I don't mind being that. Like, as long as we have a really good head coach who can handle and manage all of that, that's perfect. Like, so with that said, I think we're both pretty much in agreement on, on the track of what we could make that. I mean, you, you have a couple names on that list. When you, when you say Jeff Scott, Jeff Scott is not going to be an offensive coordinator probably for, for, for a significant amount of time. He's a head coach, um, fast track kind of guy. Like we said, Chad Morris wants to get back there. Apple white has, has been successful. The offensive coordinator who's currently, um, on the, the Alabama staff as an analyst right now. He's an interesting guy to me, obviously just because of the Texas connections, the working with Herman connections, but I, I Applewhite has soured a little bit in, in the estimation when he was a, in a, a young player in an early coach, he was very much beloved, but it's an interesting name, but it's not necessarily, I think that's if other options don't work out, you got the major on the table for, for me. And th- this is not based on how things ended at Houston for major Applewhite. If Texas has to settle for major Applewhite, this is the lights came on at the bar at 2 AM and I just need to go home with something like that's, that's what major Applewhite is in, in my estimation of the offensive coordinator for me. Oh, go ahead. You have something. Oh, I was just going to say Gerald, because I have very important input to, to add. That's very valuable. You're saying the shine is off the apple. <laughs> Very, very much so. The guy that really the guy that I like, I want to hitch my wagon to is, uh, I mean, Joe Brady, I think is probably a pie in the sky for a lot of it. Um, it's not going to come down to money because Texas and LSU both have some of the biggest pay the checkbooks in the country. And LSU currently is flush with cash because, well, they're winning and that's how donors do. Um, Texas is not a school that's going to cramp up writing checks either. So I don't think it's going to be come down to money. I think Joe Brady is going to ask himself, where do I get to be a head coach quicker? And so if that is staying at LSU, then he's going to stay there. If it's at Texas, then he's going to go to Texas. And I think that could be a deciding factor. I kind of am hitching my wagon to Graham Harrell just because I think there is, he was able to take a third string quarterback at USC and, and do something with it. 
Um, I think Graham Harrell is probably a smart enough guy that Tom Herman won't challenge him on a lot of things, or at least challenge him unnecessarily. Or if Tom Herman does challenge him, Graham Harrell's smart enough to respond and not shy away from that and not just go with what the, the boss man says. And so like the, that, those are the two guys. I think Jeff Scott's probably a real, real long shot. Uh, if you can believe all the rumors, I don't think Chad Morris and Tom Herman would ever be in the same room again voluntarily. So the two names that I really want to see uh, in, in this coaching search, probably I think the first call you make is Joe Brady. And then if Joe Brady says, uh, not for me, then you go Graham Harrell and you're happy about it. Yeah, I mean, and so right, the, the upside for Graham Harrell is that you just have that magic of being a, a tech quarterback, even if it means beating Texas uh, heartbreakingly, as, as you know, listeners of that vintage will remember. Um, and, and hey, upside, he's, he's as good as Cliff Kingsbury was as an offensive coordinator. Okay, great. Um, here's the thing, right? Like, so he, he has, doesn't have a, a super long distinguished um, track record, but he was at North Texas and he led them to a pretty improbable season last year as the offensive coordinator. This year, Seth Luttrell had to fire his offensive coordinator after one season because the drop-off was so drastic um, with Mason Fine still there at QB. Um, so that's saying something. Um, and then again, like you said, the USC job may have been the single most impressive coordinating offense or defense that that I'll give Kentucky over um, taking a, a receiver and turning him to the four string quarterback and like converting to an option offense on the fly. But other than that, that USC job basically each time down the depth chart, like leveling up and getting more powerful and the offense somehow getting better um, by the time they got to the third string or like hats off. Like you can have questions about how he likes to run the football um, or some of his philosophy things coming from, um, you know, kind of the, the, the leech old school, also was a receivers coach at Washington state before North Texas. So um, you can ask questions, but I think the track record from what you can see is pretty, pretty unimpeachable. And I think that's where the head coach thing happens, right? Where Tom Herman's like, Hey, we're Texas and we got to run the ball. And Graham Harrell, I think is smart enough to be like, okay, we could fold that into what we're doing. And that's, that completely works for me. Defensive coordinators. The guy that I wanted is already off the table. Jeff Lake, uh, the defensive coordinator at Washington uh, after Chris Peterson out of left field kind of announced he was retiring. Um, this one honestly feels a lot like when Bob Stoops, uh, decided to step away because Lincoln Riley was probably going to get hired away by somebody. And so like, ah, I'll just go ahead and retire. But that's just maybe me editorializing a bit. Uh, there are a lot of names out there. Uh, a lot of names that people like, a lot of names that people don't like. Kyle, who are you? Who are you? Who are you looking at? Who are you feeling? Who are you thinking about for the defensive coordinator? You know, there's there's one name here, and we'll get more into the uh, burn orange lenses later of why this is the case. But there's one name that jumps off the page. A man who looks great in a skin-tight burn orange, a man who's been described as power boosters as being perfectly suitable to be a coordinator at the University of Texas. I'm obviously talking about one Chuck Strong. Bring him back, baby. Bring Chuck back. Let him coach defense. Being the head coach has been a tough thing. Being the defensive coordinator, he's one of the best of all time. Dude just wins championships. He does really good stuff. Get Chuck the three-year rehab as Texas defensive coordinator. He'll have a smaller office, but we can still get him a tiger. If that's what he needs, we can still get him a baby tiger. That That's one of my favorite pictures of all time, and I really wish Charlie got it turned around because I had it queued up. It's, it, it, it was still until he got fired in my drafts of Charlie Strong looking at the Tigers and just like a national championship feeling is really like I was ready for that. Uh, <laughs> that, that – 
you're going to get us all of the one star reviews on, on Apple podcasts for that one, Kyle. Um, <laughs> I was kidding. I was kidding. <laughs> I don't know. So uh, Chris Ash is a guy that's been thrown around. Barry Odom's a guy that's been thrown around some former head coaches. It's, it's just, it's weird. Morgan Scaly is a guy who people are talking about from Utah, but that guy is, I don't know if he's ever left the state of Utah. I know for sure he hasn't ever left the Utah yeah. football program. Uh, the only time he's left Utah, I think is for road games. So I don't think that one's a realistic hire. Um, Kyle, you have, you have a guy that you're into. I don't think Chris Ash is the right move. Barry Odom feels okay to me. I just, I, there's not a guy that I'm like, that's the slam dunk uh, on the lines, on the kind of lines of Graham Harrell. Well, he, he, here's, here's mine. And I don't know if we'll be able to pry him away. And if we can't, that's a little bit of a sad state of where Texas football is. But, but I really like John Heacock. Um, he's a, he's a guy. He's not a, he's not necessarily a young guy. He's, he's I believe 59 um, right now. So he doesn't have a ton of time. He's probably not a guy who's got a head coaching um, ascent in him necessarily. Um, but he, yeah, who knows, but uh, he is a guy who could come give you probably five solid years um, and, and really understands the big 12. We talked about Patterson being, you know, the standard or close to the standard for big 12. Um, I really think Heacock is, is, is as good as it gets in stopping big 12 offenses. He's the current, if you're not familiar, the current defensive coordinator at Iowa State. Basically, Todd Orlando um, came up with his defense by taking Heacock concepts um, and and putting better players with them. So I'd be curious what Heacock himself could do with better players, right? Because he obviously has turned Iowa State into a perennially very good um, defensive team. Um, not just Big 12 good, but, but quite good just in general by any standards. Um, and, and he really, I, I kind of joked before our Iowa state pod that, that he, you know, might come up with an innovative way to, uh, to stop the RPO, which Texas has been so successful against Kansas state with. Um, and he kind of did, I mean, he, he, he knows how to take away, um, some things that other teams spend weeks and months trying to figure out, um, what to take away. He started his career, I believe under, under Jim Trestle, which both dates him and tells you he's got that, that, good Midwestern kind of pedigree that we like uh, in coaches. And maybe he and, and Tom would have that in common, both uh, being from, from Midwest and, and having a stopover at Iowa State. But, uh, I mean, anyone you talk to associated with Iowa State program thinks the world of Heacock. Anyone um, in the Big 12 West to go up against him thinks a lot of him. Um, it, he's, he was in the 90s, the, the, the defensive coordinator at Indiana. Um, he's been at Kent State, Purdue, uh, Toledo, where he's the assistant head coach as well. Um, and so he hasn't really been at huge marquee spots, but right time as the tide rises with Iowa State, um, maybe catapult. I've got two words for you, Kyle. Dwayne Aquina. No, that's not going to happen. That's just a random name that popped into my head. <laughs> uh, so the, the jury is still out on who's going to be the defensive coordinator. I think the last question we have to talk about before we jump to break is, do you think that that the heads have stopped rolling or do you think that this is just on pause uh, for Texas to get through bowl and early signing? You know, I don't think there's necessarily like eight, more heads because that's too many heads first of all i don't think there's you know a, a wholesale all heads will there aren't eight left 
Correct, yeah, <laughs> unless uh, they start firing guys they interimed or, or hire and then fire, um, which is never a good sign. But, I, you know, I, I think, right, like, I, I really think when I go back to it, the guys that are safe is Herb Han. I think Oscar Giles at defensive line is probably um, pretty safe there. I think Stan Drayton's probably not going anywhere this cycle. Um, you just really don't want to mess too much with the Bijan boat if you don't have to. Um, and then, uh, you know, we'll see if Tim Beck, continues to have a spot there, but I, I would like him to. I think that leaves a single spot, um, and that's that tight end spot. Um, and we, you, Gerald, especially, have beat the drum um, and led the vanguard for the, you know, get uh, Wareheim out of here uh, movement. And I, I think you're, you're, you're not only right about that, but I think we've talked about this at some point. Um, there's an Arkansas coach when, uh, when, when that all went down with Chad Morris, who's just sitting there, who's probably gone back to somewhere in the deep piney woods of East Texas, just plotting his next move. And there's a, a unbelievable recruiter and fantastic, uh, coach could be a tight ends coach, uh, named Jeff trailer. Uh, you need to refer to him by his full name, Jeffrey tractor trailer. No, that's, that's a guy that I would. Jeff Trailer was great for War- Texas. Warden of the East. <laughs> yeah, Jeff Trailer was a guy that was really, really good for Texas. Now, that being said, Jeff Trailer is a guy that could be possibly retained by whoever comes in next in Arkansas. So that's possible. I, I, Jeff Trailer is not a guy you let go lightly. So I'm uh, he's coaching running backs, I think, currently for uh, for Arkansas. But I think he's definitely probably more of the recruiting kind of guru. So that's that's definitely another conversation. I the S P plus numbers say Wareheim's doing an okay job on special teams. My eyeballs tell me something different. Texas had an extra point blocked on Friday. Like that's just eh, with all the other stuff that has gone on with the special teams, I'm not a huge fan. So we'll be back on Thursday uh, to update you if any coaching moves are made. We'll be back to talk about that. We'll also talk about some Texas basketball on Thursday. On the other side of some advertisements, we'll talk about the Texas Tech football game, and then we will bang the drum. So there was football played in some games that we thought may have saved people's jobs, but turns out they weren't. So Texas beat Texas Tech 49-24 to on senior night. Kyle, the first time Texas had won, what is it, three straight senior nights? Uh, since 2008-2009, so sad state of affairs. Uh, the offense had a good game. The defense had a good game, and we thought it may have been enough to save coaches' jobs. It was not. So let's start with the offense, I think, Kyle, because we have to, have to, have to start there because the offense was so bad in the previous three games. Texas put up a whopping 49 points. Would have been 50 Looking at you, Wareheim. Points, which is the third most <laughs> in the Tom Herman area. 600 yards. Outscored Tech 43-10 to 10 after the first quarter. There is so much to talk about. Kyle, where do we start? I, I will start here because I, I want to make sure we have some, some understanding of a 7-4 season in the final game. Um, there's some good things, and we want that, but just a couple things to remember in the context. A, they, like you mentioned, had turned it unbelievably around from the last two games, I think combined, you know, probably like 600 yards total um, or or 500 yards total in those games. It felt like just um, utterly inept um, to, to a really, really great performance. However, um, Texas tech defense can be the, the cure for what ails you. You know, if you're, you're having trouble running the ball, they'll probably let you run a little bit. You're having trouble passing the ball. Yeah, they'll 
let you pass a little bit, you know, and then you take out um, the, the, the Texas size caveat of Jordan Brooks and, and his top 10 tackling in the nation being out. Um, okay. So once Texas kind of figured that out after the first couple drives, Hey, we could just go beat these guys. And then, then they just did that. But Again, let's couch all that and say, how many times have we said on this podcast or heard people, you know, say this or listeners to this podcast? How many times have you had the discussion with friends, relatives, neighbors, and loved ones? Why can't Texas just beat a minnow? Why do why do they only get to win by seven points? Why do they have to play to their competition? Go be a bully. Well, this is their highest points total, I believe, since San Jose, which they bullied. And so we got to see Texas be the bully after about the first quarter. Um, but it was it was just a really, really good night. I mean, they actually, if you take that first quarter out, they outscored Tech 43-10 to 10 after that first quarter. That's an unbelievable, that's a, that's a mud hole stomping. That's a molly whopping. That's a real darn good Texas performance. And we can talk about some specific guys, but I just want to kind of give hats off to um, the players, the seniors um, for stepping up. The, the, the coaches who may have had a feeling that they were playing for their jobs and, and kind of going all the way out, keeping the foot on the gas. But, I mean, we got to get Sam off the field. It's wild that that feels like a luxury. But we were able to get Sam Ellinger a few less hits on the on the body, you know, a few, uh, keep a little more tread on the tire. So it's a win. It's absolutely a win. I, I would say it's a big, big win. And I think we start with Sam Ellinger because – there had been a lot of talk of the Ellinger regression, and we saw a little flash of the Ellen God against Texas Tech. And so Sam Ellinger goes for 431 total yards, uh, 348 through the air, 83 on the ground, three touchdowns. Somebody, a very handsome host of this podcast, uh, totally called that. I actually only called 300, but that's fine. Um, which is which is just an incredible game. He looked in control of the offense. He looked like he knew what he wanted. They didn't make him make all of the plays. He he was under that crucial kind of 45 touches mark where he has, you know, combining his, his uh, pass attempts and his carry. So that's something that's big to see. And Sam Ellinger has now, I think, at least statistically, cemented himself as one of the top three quarterbacks in school history. Yeah, I mean, I think by 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 any measure, it's really, you know, again, no offense, we're, we're double-shading Major Applewhite here. No offense to Applewhite, no offense to uh, Chris Sims, and no um, offense to uh, Tyrone Swoops. Um, Tyrone, I should say. Um, the uh, I think Sam has put himself in that rarefied air, and he still has a year to go. The 4,052 uh, total yards of the season running and passing is only the third time um, that a Texas quarterback has gone over 4,000. Those being Vince Young in 05, kind of remember that year's pretty good, um, and Colt in 08 when he obviously should have won the Heisman. Um, so basically two should have been Heisman seasons. Um, so, I mean, that's that's good company. I don't care how you slice it, how you caveat it, what you want to say. That's just the regular season, guys. He's still got a bowl game. Um, so that's real, 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 real good company. And he passed Major Applewhite um, to, to slide into that second all-time with, with uh, 86-69 nice career passing yards. I wrote about it in the Inside the Numbers piece on on Sunday. Like the, the simple fact that this felt like a down year for Sam and he still put up one of the three best seasons in school history – I think is part of the reason why I'm really happy that the Texas offensive coordinator is going to be changing because uh, it, it, it frustrated me that 
Texas lost one of or two of at least this point the best years of one of the best quarterbacks in school history. And so uh, Sam getting back on it was great. And I think another reason that I'm excited is because you Devin DuVernay put up one of the best games I've seen in a very, very long time. Six catches. 199 yards, a sneeze short of 200, one touchdown, caught a two-point conversion, ran for another 10 yards, named the Big 12 Offensive Player of the Week. DuVernay did what DuVernay does and has is, is without a doubt, you can't argue this, the second greatest receiving season in school history. Yeah, and I mean, I think he, he has a chance to go and try to make it the, the best. If he wants to put another game just about like this up in the uh, in the bowl game, he can give Jordan Shipley a real run for his money. Um, I mean, he's basically at 100-plus catches and just, just to sneeze under 1,300 yards. That's that's really, really, really good. It's only the third time ever that someone's done over 100 Shipley, as we mentioned in 09, and then Kwame Cavill a little love in 1999. Um, so, I mean, just the thing I liked about Duvernay in this game was he did it in a lot of ways. He did it with a 75-yard bomb that would have been 95 if there was more green in front of him. No one was catching him ever um, just by being faster than everyone and running a a one-cut route that just, you know, a defender said, okay, the player should be here. Oh, my gosh, he's way back there. Um, And just just out-athleted someone. And then he had the adjustment catch on the sideline where Sam threw it up and he, you know, came back for it, fell out of bounds, made sure he got the knee uh, down inbounds, caught, you know, a tough catch. Um, then he had the, the two point conversion, you know, where it was lofted up and he beat his man, but then had to adjust kind of, and keep his feet in the back. He did a lot of things that you're talking about making money. You're talking about draft stock, just cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. Um, he's not just a speedster. He showed that. I mean, he showed he has fantastic hands all year. He's shown he's a really tough runner after the catch at multiple times throughout the year, including in this game. Um, but he just continues to show that he re- really has all the tools. In a, in a loaded wide receiver class, I think Devin DuVernay has made himself a ton of money this year. But I think the thing that was the most impressive about the Texas passing game is that I think we got a pretty good look at what that group is going to look like next year. Cause you had Malcolm Epps who made a couple of big plays. Marcus Washington was out there making plays. Jake Smith was out there making plays. And so I think the ability to see that next group get a, a ton of playing time. I'm excited because Marcus Washington, I, I think Marcus Washington is going to be a problem for a lot yep. of people. And Brendan Eagles as well. Like, give me a four-wide receiver group of Eagles, Epps, Washington, and Jake Smith with Graham Harrell calling an offense. Um, yeah, that's going to look real, real good on a Saturday. Yeah, and, and if hey, guys, if you're if you're scared about doing that and you want to rotate a couple of those slots out, oh, hey, you have uh, your best receiving tight end recruit in years in Braden Lybrock who, you know, put put the two Arizona kids in your slots on either side and you make you choose. You want to go big, nasty, or, or fast? Fast, nasty? I don't have something. Yeah, <laughs> fast, nasty. Okay, I didn't have something that rhymed, um, at least for the, the fair-eared listeners of this podcast. But, um, no, I just think, you're right. It could be a problem. Smith, in fact, you know, we had kind of a touchdown drought, I believe the commentator said during the game. And, and it's true, but he still finished with six TDs, the most by freshman, redshirt or true. Um, the second most all time. Only Roy Williams himself 
pretty good at Not being bad. a wide receiver at Texas. Uh, the only player to have more with eight. So Jake Smith, if you want to pass Roy Williams, just go have two or three touchdowns in the bowl game. So there's a lot to play for. Still a lot of meat left on the bone. But I, I 1,000% agree with you that Marcus Washington uh, turned some heads. He's played a little bit, and every time he's been out there, he's looked pretty good. But whether it was his blocking, whether it was his running after the catch, his inability to just go down, um, or his, like, you could still upset he got it himself if his block didn't hold long enough. It held for two seconds, and if it was four seconds, he could have sprung him for another 10 yards. You saw him want more and more and more and to give more and more to the team. And if I'm, you know, a, any coach on that staff, I'm loving that. Absolutely. And another thing I'm loving is Roshan Johnson, who after the game said he's still probably going to move back to quarterback, which is fine. That honestly feels like a business decision with Bijan and with Keontae and with Whittington and Darian Brown and, and Ty Jordan. And that that group, that room is going to be stacked. So I think it's a business decision because maybe Casey Thompson um, might be on the way out. There's another conversation we had there. But Roshan, 23 carries, 105 yards, three touchdowns, named the Big 12 newcomer of the week just the 11th true freshman to rush for at least 500 yards he's the team leader in touchdowns this year three touchdowns gives him the team lead he's the only player this year to have three rushing touchdowns not sam not Keontae, but rojo and so like that dude for me can do whatever he wants like you want you want to play quarterback great you want to play running back you want to play receiver you want to coach the offense great do that but like <laughs> that guy has earned my undying love and respect and I just hope he doesn't get buried on the depth chart yeah, you don't get enough player coaches in, in NCAA football. You used to get that in soccer back in the day, basketball in the NBA. I believe uh, Bill Russell did that, but not enough player coaches at the NCAA level. There may be a violation or two there, but um, no, I, I I agree completely. Roshan is the man. You could see little things in his game where it's like, man, if he does decide to be a running back, he will get coached up with a year of development, and he will hit that hole. He will wait one second. He will He will drift a little bit to the left through that hole, and he'll bust it. But you can see those things, and you can still see someone working so unbelievably hard to overcome it. Hey, you went through the wrong hole, but you also got six yards after contact because there was a linebacker who met you there, but you dragged him and rolled over him. You know, you always finish the run. Hey, you know, a couple of our big plays, there was like two third down conversions that Brennan Eagles had, and neither of them would have happened had Roshan not had killer cut blocks taking out um, linebackers coming free on the on the edge towards Sam's blind side. Like, those plays make you love the kid. And like you said, he's he's a culture player. He's a culture captain. He's a guy who's going to be a huge part of this team for the years to come. I, I really don't care where it is. I hope he doesn't just rush to get out of running back because I think he's really got something there. Um, but uh, again, that's not to say he can't do it anywhere that he puts his mind to it. And maybe the, the offensive coordinator hire has something to say about that because if his skill set doesn't necessarily fit as a quarterback, he definitely has a spot. You, he, that's that's a Ramont Taylor if I've ever seen it. Just let that guy just put him on the field, let him run around and be an athlete. Now we got to talk about the defense too, because the defense after that first quarter, the, the first quarter, I, I'm I was late to the party. I was listening to that game on the radio. Thank the Lord for Craig Way and his beautiful beautiful tones. Uh, but I was ready to just go and settle in and be pissed off for the rest of the day and just have an awful awful Friday. But the Texas defense tightened up, gave up 470 yards on the day, only 71 on the ground. Granted, that is Texas Tech. They forced two turnovers. Uh, after the first quarter, they only gave up 10 points, three of those coming in the second half. So this looked like, again, a defense that could have potentially saved 
Todd Orlando's job, even though they didn't. Yeah, that's that's a sad way to put it. Um, <laughs> you know, giving up 400 yards, I believe there was a, again, a very handsome uh, podcast host um, who last week said something along the lines of, hey, I could see um, a bend but don't break defense working here where they give up 400 yards to Jet Duffy, but only something like 21 points and the offense gives them enough to win with that defensive performance. That one was me. Um, but I was a little bit wrong. He Instead of 400, he had 399. Instead of 21, they had 24. But nonetheless, Pachadamas is back, baby. Um, Yeah, it was not a bad... It's kind of a vintage Orlando Big 12 performance. If that's what he goes out on, you kind of know what you're getting. It's a, it's, it's a, a coach who wants to force turnovers, which they did. They got two of them in 32 of 39 games under, under Coach Herman. Uh, the defense is has forced a turnover under under Orlando as well. Um which which kind of they got goal line stands, which you saw this year and last year really in spades uh for a bend but don't break team that that was really quite impressive. Um but they also let a team just move the ball between the twenties kind of at will on them. When they when they drop back to pass, you had no confidence on first and second down that it wasn't a completion automatically. So it's it's tough, but you leave kind of, you know, dancing with the one that brung you you know you you didn't hide who you were and apparently you know you've been measured you've been weighed and you've been found wanting and 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 you know that's that's just a tough one to swallow yeah and i think the i mean the, the defense looked like it had all year except they came up with third downs i think that was the that was the big differentiators the defense looked really similar i think the the two big changes that were the third downs and the ability to make open field tackles. Brandon Jones was one of those guys who had all year kind of been a solid open field tackler. Um, big Malcolm Roach went out on a on a high note. He had a sack. Uh, probably Moro Joma should have gotten some of that credit. But a guy that was real. Two guys. I, we can talk. We'll talk in order. Uh, a guy that was really impressive to me along the front was uh, Marquez Bimage. Like that. Like that guy looked like. He kind of had the game that Malcolm Roach had a year ago in the bowl game uh, where it's like, oh, that guy's probably going to be really good next year. Yeah, I mean, Bimage, well, just to tell you, he's one of four players in the last 20 seasons to have a sack, force a fumble, and recover a fumble in the game. And he almost even had, uh, in the early third quarter, he had a pressure that you know could have been a fumble. Duffy kind of shot-putted it as he was getting hit. Could have uh, also been an interception but fell off the hands. I think it was a forward pass, but just off the hands of, I don't remember who it was, maybe McCullough. But uh, could have had another turnover accounted for. So just really, really good. And, and I, I believe... Uh, was it, it was Bimage who got the hair sack, right? I think those count as a sack and a half if you tackle someone by the by the locks. Absolutely. I was so worried they were going to call a penalty on that, and I was like, oh, okay, cool, we're, we're good. I was like, that's not a horse collar, that's his hair. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, and, and again, Bimage, fantastic. We talked about Roche. Ajomo is a guy who I, on this whole team, I think the, the guy who I was most excited about on the defensive um, front seven uh, in the beginning of the year was Coburn, and I, re- I continue remain to be. The guy who I did not have the hopes um, necessarily for, I thought he'd be a fine player, but didn't have the upside maybe calculated, who now after the end of this season I go into next year with huge expectations of is Moro Jomo. I think um, he has been very good all year. He's so unbelievably quick even as he's bulked up. It makes a really interesting counter off of Coburn's just sheer mass. You know, he's the mountain and uh, he's who will be coming round it. You know, it's... Uh, it's uh, you thought I was going to go Viper there. No, um, it, he it's just... 
it's a really good combo for up front for for the future. I think Ajomo has a ton to build on uh, after this kind of final game of the season, and we'll see what happens in the bowl. But he uh, he first showed out uh, last year a little bit in the bowl game. Yeah, there are a ton of young pups, I think, on that defensive front. Uh, Coburn, uh, we talked about Taquan uh, Graham. Tavondre Sweat played really well. Um, the, the linebacker group, Osai, Mitchell, Dele, again, I think that was that was a group that we were worried about, and there's still a lot of questions. I'm curious to see what Texas does in the offseason, especially with uh, the DeGabriel Floyd news that we'll talk about in just a minute. But a guy that I was uh, – we were high on, at least when the recruiting – era was Kenyatta Watson is a guy that looked the part in some spots. And I think with some development, with the right coordinator, with the right coaches, he can be a dude for Texas in the secondary. He could be, he could be the corner that locks down a chunk of the field. Yeah. There was a play that um, you, you were fortunate that uh, I believe you called him uh, Jay Duffy, uh, Jet Duffy um, just missed. Like it's just the, not being the full-time starter. Maybe it's just being the younger player. Um, most Big 12 quarterbacks don't miss it. But thank God they did. We were able to call a timeout. Um, we left a guy with no one within 20 yards on the goal line. Vasher was going crazy down there um, that Texas was able to call the timeout. And I think from what I could tell on my rewatch, that was the first play that Watson got in um, was immediately after that. So the coaches went to it and they said, you know what? I'm not going to name names, but whoever it was that was supposed to be over there wasn't. Watson, next man up. Get in there, show us something. Well, you know what he did was two plays later on fourth down, he's the one who had the fourth down goal line standby, swatting it perfectly timed out of Vasher's hands. Again, Vasher's their best receiver, even though he's been a little nicked up. He's their their number one um, talent-wise receiver. He's very tall, um, and, and it was perfectly played. And, and that pass breakup, you know, along with um, – just some, some pretty good coverage uh, throughout the game. He pretty much lined up on Vasher after that for a majority of the game. Um, got him named to the, the college football focus uh, Big 12 team of the week as their kind of floating, you know, rover, spy, nickel, whatever, extra, um, but fifth defensive back. So huge day for the freshman kid who hasn't seen a lot of playing. Um, and, and again, building on will be good upside for next season. Absolutely. And he's a guy that will probably redshirt, which is nice. Uh, well, again, they could play him in the bowl game. That's another conversation. Uh, so Kyle, anything to add? We've got, we've got a little bit of a, a longer show today. So what, what, what do we want to tie this up with? Let me say this. I, I, I have, I have a couple things here, Gerald. I know this is going to go long, but I do want to, I want to get your opinion. So, so we talked about the offense. We talked about the defense. We talked about all these guys. Um, there was, there was really two plays. I think that, uh, that I want to nominate. I'll give it three as the play of the game. The first is that one we just talked about the, uh, the Kenyatta Watson, um, pass breakup. The, the, the obvious choice here is the Duvernay 75 yard touchdown. It was after that goal line stand, actually Texas punted out of its own end zone. And then uh, interference again, special teams, um, gave tech a 24 yard field. They obviously scored, um, quickly with a strike and it was like oh man we just had a goal line stand wind out of our sails um it was at that point we we didn't know that the defense was about to turn the corner and and start stopping people we needed something from the offense well first play after the kickoff 75 yard duvernay touchdown seemed to kind of change the entire course of the game or the third choice and i think this is kind of the uh 
the, the thinking man's choice here. Texas just utterly struggling down 14-0. It was on a second and 15 after a, after a penalty. The first drive had stalled after a sack. The second drive, we had a Keontae Ingram injury, and it just never really got going. So it was about to be our third skunked drive. Um, Malcolm Epps had this jumping 36-yard catch in double coverage where he seemed to get hit twice by each guy, and the ball was just out there precariously, but he strong-handed it. And all of a sudden, the Texas offense and the Texas team seemed to wake up and knock the trip to fan off and start playing. So out of the Kenyatta Watson pass breakup, the Epps jumping catch of the DuVernay big touchdown. What was your play of the game? Um, my, one of my plays of the game uh, didn't actually exist, but uh, on that same drive... Roshan Johnson went for 44 yards, and then it got called back thanks to a junior Angelao holding penalty. So if that didn't get erased, that would have been my play of the game. Um, I mean, the du- the Duvernay touchdown being the longest play from scrimmage in like three years is probably something that um, something that I want to want to give some honor and uh, give some credence to. Man, Roshan just made some plays. Like he made some culture plays, and so I think the you know, the, he had a he had, went for a first down in the third quarter, and it doesn't really necessarily get a lot of shine. But the like he, the way that he carried players, like he just ran into a scrum and pushed guys. It was like, you know what? I'm I'm tougher than you. It was the place that we applauded Trey Watson for for making last year. Like Roshan made those plays, and they rewarded him like three plays later with letting him punch it in from the one. And so I think like. Just cumulatively, Roshan's performance would have to be, uh, as a cheater, my my plays of the game. All right, I love that. So, okay, I do have one other thing. I know we're we're cutting you cutting you the opposite of short. We're going long here, guys. But a lot of things happened this week. Um, I have a couple other things that don't really fit into the offense, defense, or special teams buckets per se. So the first one is Texas covered, baby. Ten point line. We worried. We joked. We said, no, Texas only plays within a field goal or touchdown of any team in the country except Baylor. But clearly, they broke that. So, we got to benefit from that. And Texas more than covered the 10-point line and did that by winning the time of possession by 8-plus minutes. I talked on this podcast about third downs. Texas was 50%. My prediction um, was that they, uh, the other side, that Texas Tech would not be successful. And after going 6 of 9, I, I didn't feel particularly good about that. But Tech was one of their final seven um, on uh, on third downs, which really, um, and one of four on fourth downs, which really kind of was the, um, again, double puster, Dom, was pretty good for me, the, uh, the, the, the key stat uh, of the game. Um, and then there's just a couple little, little, little stat toids here that I found interesting. Um, five and one at home, like in a year that wasn't perfect. This is Texas's second season with five wins. The first time, they had 10 home wins in a two-year span since 08, 09. So it hasn't been the fortress per se in years of late. But you know you can you can discredit Tom Herman for a lot. But uh, you know they 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 did the thing where they needed to um, taking care of of home base. Um, and then I have a trivia for you, Joe. Uh oh, we haven't had one of these in a while. So this one's just fun. The second quarter, everything changed. Texas, after going down 14-0, seemed to get the momentum in that quarter. They had 22 points themselves in the second. It was their second most explosive quarter of the season. Gerald, do you know their first and most explosive uh, points scored quarter of the season? Was it Oklahoma State? 
No, it was very much needed to stop the shame. It was the fourth quarter against Kansas when they scored 26 <laughs> and to, to win by three, which again is, is, a, is a very sad, very, very sad stat. But, uh, you know, that's, they got it. They got all the wins. That's tough. Uh, so again, we'll be back on Thursday. We'll talk potentially maybe coaching hires and what's going on there, but we've got to move on to the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, big Bertha, and we bang the drum brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? I hate to kind of bring it sad. I won't go too deep on this because, you know, it's a long show, but I think it deserves mentioning, um, linebacker to Gabriel Floyd um, announced today um, as we're recording this on Monday announced um, that he is medically retiring uh, from football. And we kind of knew um, preseason that was spinal stenosis, that there was a lot of internet doctors who tried to posit, you know, he could be out four weeks or this is career. This is just a season we can fix it. You know, no one truly knew. And again, it's up to the kid to understand his own body. Um, but after a year and in a, a year of, by all accounts, being there, being a part of the team, um, just kind of giving his his enthusiasm and input wherever he could um from a from a position of need and for a player who we really um before the injury had high expectations that he would step on day one um and just be a a huge uh impact to that defense um he was a tough guy to replace but he announced that he's not going to be here had to make the decision and we will always commend players to make the best decision for themselves and their families and their livelihood um and so just wanted to say you know um hook them forever to Gabriel Floyd. Um, I, I, I hope you stick around and finish uh, out at the University of Texas. You'll always be a Longhorn, no matter your decision. But, uh, you know, I do do wish you all the best. It's just kind of an interesting, again, zoom out to think about that uh, that last 2019 class um, joining Darian Brown, who we are very hopeful. He, he himself very hopeful. Um, but but right now, you know, has not played due to, due to the the, the injury that he sustained. Um, and then Brew McCoy, who just uh, sprained his ego um, and uh, was, was unable to play uh, meaningful snaps at, at Texas, but uh, just kind of a crazy, crazy attrition uh, from that class. And, and two of them just for really uh, sad, uh, sad circumstances, but we are hopeful fingers crossed for Darian, but nonetheless to Gabriel forever Longhorn. Yeah, I, I this really feels like a situation where Texas would honor a four-year scholarship. It would not be a football scholarship. They would find other ways to give him some financial aid. But there is a uh, there's history here. Texas several years ago had a had a highly touted recruit for a local kid who had a heart attack on the field. I uh, was unable to play football, and, uh, te- and the university this was under Mac Brown honored his scholarship. He was kind of a student assistant. So. Whatever DeGabriel's future holds, man, we are cheering for you. We're in your corner. We really hope that uh, things work out well for you. I'd love to see him as part of it. He's he's like a culture guy. There are a lot of guys on the team that really, really love him, especially these West Coast guys. So I think keeping him around the program uh, would be a big win for Texas. Yeah, Matt Nader is the one you're referencing. I actually knew Matt when I was on campus. But, uh, yeah, I just missed it in mine, and I wanted to get a quick rejoinder in there. I should have said this. Missed it. DeGabriel blows his horn. You should have used that on the outro, Kyle. You could have totally just went with it and thought it was planned. Uh, So I'm banging the drum this week on the 2020 commits. So uh, a few weeks ago, Prince Dorba uh, told Mike Roach of 24-7 Sports, kind of told him a story about how there were some guys that were kind of half in, half out. And he and some of the other leaders in the recruiting class basically were like, either jump in or jump out. 
Like they kind of showed them the door where they were, if you're waffling on it, we're trying to do something special here in Texas. So get on out. And so then yesterday on the bloody Sunday, when uh, the coaching staff was being rearranged and fired and all of that, uh, at least I counted eight different players publicly reaffirming their pledges, including uh, Prince Dorba. Um, you had Vernon Broughton. You had all sorts of uh, the hundred yard landlord, Xavier Alford, like eight guys that all went on Twitter and Troy Omier. I'm, their names are just coming back to me as I'm talking, uh, but they all publicly reaffirmed their pledges via Twitter. And that came off the heels of uh, defensive end Van Fillinger, uh, who, who was already kind of rumored to be on the flip path to home state favorite and current college football playoff favorite uh, Utah to be a flip. He decommitted almost instantly. And then on Monday, Bijan told 24 seven that he wasn't taking visits and he was fully committed to Texas. And so seeing that really, really makes me happy for what the future of this program holds. And if Texas can get coaches in that can actually develop these guys and, and get the most out of their ample talent, then I'm just, I'm all for it. So I love seeing guys that are fully committed and I'm not like the rah, rah, you should love your school more than anything else. Kind of guy. Like I'll call the school when they're doing dumb stuff. I will call on people when they're doing dumb stuff, make the best decision for you, young man. And if you think that Texas is the best decision, then I'll ride with you until it's not. And let's go ahead and win some games. Man, I like that a lot. Uh, also, Hayden Connor. I don't, if you mentioned him, I missed it. I'm sorry, but just a good good friend of the pod, Hayden Connor. Keep keep uh, interacting with us on social media, Mister Connor. You're you're becoming a, a Longhorn Pod favorite. But uh, you're right, Gerald. It's uh, there's there's something special going to happen here, and if you miss it, boy, are you going to regret it. So uh, all these geniuses who are, who are in, who are on 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 board on the train. Uh, now it's up to you. Come in. Make this thing your own. Create your own legacy. Make it special. Absolutely. But that's all the time we've got for you today. Thank you so much for listening in. Uh, Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter, or you can follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Gerdich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook him. Hook him. To gay bro, blow his horn. Hook him.